Hello and welcome back to another episode of Need to Reach Absolute Legend. You may notice that I'm sounding a little bit more chipper than usual today and that has absolutely everything to do with the fact that the sun has come out and my SAD seems to have disappeared temporarily. So I'm making the most of it and recording some podcasts. This particular podcast today, Lessons from Dead Philosophers, is going to be about two books that I've read recently. Now, philosophy, the more I've read of it, the more I understand that it's quite an intimidating kind of genre or or type of book or subject of book to get into. It's really fucking confusing. That's that's the bottom line, essentially. If you're not well-versed in it, it's very, very difficult to understand. And that's why there are brilliant people out there who essentially translate it and apply it to modern life. So you don't have to do so. I would recommend once you've read like intro books to philosophy, dipping into some of the older texts, uh, like I've spoken about before on the podcast, like Letters from a Stoic, and some others that I'm getting into uh, at the moment from kind of weird philosophers that aren't necessarily as applicable to life as Seneca, but are unique and interesting, like Schopenhauer, who I'm going to speak about later in this podcast. Now, before we start, I'm, I'm going to have to quickly just keep the lights on. So this podcast, of course, is sponsored by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens, something I've been taking pretty much every day for the last two years. It is an all-in-one green shake dietary supplement that gives you essentially all you need. Apart from, obviously, it doesn't give you all you need. You still need to eat food. But it gives you 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients. And it will pretty much suit just about anybody. It doesn't taste amazing. It's a green shake. What do you expect? But it doesn't make you gag. And I am, I've got a, I gag pretty easily. So it's convenient and it doesn't taste so bad. And if you don't eat too many vegetables and you're not getting all your vitamins and minerals, then it's probably the right decision for you. All you'd have to do to get your subscription is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read. In there, you will get five free travel packs, which are great for, surprise, surprise, travel, and a year's supply of vitamin D3, which is great for respiratory health. Bit of a cold, bit of a virus going around at the moment, so topping up your vitamin D is never going to be a bad idea. So head to athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read if you fancy getting your nutrition sorted out. But if you just came here for the philosophy then I have got a treat for you. I'm going to start with Alan de Botton's books, The Consolation of Philosophy. It is a lovely introduction to a few philosophers that you may not have stumbled across. Because let's face it, philosophy at the moment has been hijacked by Ryan Holiday and Stoicism. And Stoicism is a popularised philosophy. Everyone loves it. It's the philosophy of life. It makes you do stuff. Um, I'm bored of it. Well, I'm not bored of it. I just think there's more out there. So I'm not going to speak about the Stoics today, even though they do feature quite heavily in the two books I'm going to talk about. have got Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus appear quite a few times, actually, across the Socrates Express and the Consolations of the Philosophy. But I'm going to ignore them and talk about some other people, starting with the people who are covered in the Consolations of Philosophy by Alan de Botton. It's worth knowing that I could well be in love with Alan de Botton, I've never met him and I really hope that I don't ever have to so because I'll probably get quite nervous. But his mind is brilliant. I've spoken about it before on the podcast and I'm trying to 
push you towards his YouTube videos and his other books, The School of Life. Uh, I've read How to Think More About Sex by him. Uh, Essays in Love as well was brilliant. He is just a very wise man. And in this book, The Constellations of Philosophy, he's trying to solve some of the problems that we face as humans, the ones that we'd rather not face up to, like unpopularity, not having enough money, frustration, inadequacy, a broken heart, and difficulties. Now, you love reading, if you're listening to this podcast, or you like learning. Uh, I'm just going to assume that you're pretty unpopular because no one likes a smart ass, and once you've read so many books, you just can't help it, right? So let's just start with unpopularity. Now, you have to remember that you're not going to be liked by everyone. We have to give up that idea that everyone's going to like us, and we're obviously going to come across people who are going to hate us in life for no other reason than we are just the way we are. And I'll just ask you for a moment, just to think of all the people you don't like. You probably don't truly know them, but there's something that isn't quite right about how they behave, and it doesn't quite sit right with you. It doesn't necessarily make their behaviour right or wrong, but you formed an opinion of them. You'd be a fool to think that no one's made that opinion of you. There are going to be plenty of people out there who probably just don't like you because there's something about your being that frustrates them. That's how life works. Seven billion people here, we're not all going to get on, right? Now, Socrates, who's kind of seen as like the daddy of philosophy, actually, ironically, never wrote a word. Most of his teachings come from students who wrote down their communications with him. He was so unpopular that he was put to death by a all-male jury of about 500 people because he just refused to stop asking questions. And he was put to death for corrupting the youth of Athens, which is a bit of a shame. Now, the interesting thing about that jury of 500 people, which I'm going to digress here just one moment, in Athens, back in the day, they kind of like decided right from wrong by counting the number of people in favour of a proposition. And that was ubiquitous all throughout Athenian political and legal life. Now, two or three times a month, all of the male citizens, shout out misogyny, um, up to about 30,000 people were invited to gather on a hill and decide on the important questions on, on the state by a show of hands. So for Athens and in ancient Greece, the opinion of the majority had kind of been equated with truth, which, of course, we, we know isn't the case. But because that was the case back then, Socrates was, was put to death for just irritating people, essentially, asking too many questions and trying to get to the bottom of stuff. He didn't really claim to know much, and he just asked why all the time which which is kind of weird because that would usually mean if if there was that's like a child right so if someone was around today and they claimed to know nothing and all they ever did was ask why we wouldn't trust them to give us solid information right but back then socrates gathered quite a following and it was the following that he thought mattered he focused on the people who mattered to him and refused to give up his philosophy, even when faced with death. And that, when you're feeling unpopular, or you're, you're feeling like you're not liked, or that you're not worthy of being liked, whatever it is your brain chucks up for you, we have to realise that like, it's only the people around us that truly, truly matter. And you have to select those people quite carefully. Not too carefully, but if they're in your life, and you really like them, 
those are the kind of people that you want to be popular with. You want to be popular with the people who like you. You don't have to necessarily worry about being popular with people who you don't know. That's kind of overrated. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I'm popular with lots of people, but I do have an Instagram account with 24,000 followers. It's not all it's cracked up to be if I'm TBH. I don't feel like I've I've got a meaningful life because X amount of people have at some point or other thought what I was saying was reasonable. But a lot of people aim for that. So if, if anyone here is aiming to get a lot of followers and, and that's going to be one of their life goals, I would say just give up on it now and, and focus on something a bit better, a bit cooler, um, because followers does not equal happiness. But i tell you what it does though, people who listen to your podcast, you're a legend listening. I, I count the Instagram followers and the podcast listeners two very different things. Uh, just to let you know. Other people may not see it that way, but I do. So I do not want to be unpopular with you, the listener, but if I was unpopular on Instagram, I wouldn't be so bothered. Maybe that's how Socrates thought. Maybe he didn't mind being popular with his students, didn't want to be so popular with the masses. And it it, it doesn't take much, apparently, in ancient Greece to piss people off. Like This was a time where women are essentially under the thumb of their husbands completely. They had no roles in politics or public life and they had no right to have property or money. They'd be married at 13. Men had to kill to be virtuous. You had to go to war to be virtuous. And people like Socrates just walked around saying, yeah, why though? Why is this the case? Can we can we do this differently? Do we think there's a better way? And for that, he was then put to death. But the important thing is he never gave up on his own philosophy. And when it comes to loads of people shouting at you and trying to make you change your mind, I think sometimes sticking with your mind, if you truly believe you're right, is a good thing. Understand that maybe someone sees something you don't and listen, but don't just be ruled by the mob. And I think now in 2022, there are a lot of minority tyrants out there. I'm not saying minority people. I mean, the, the sense of the word minority that there are not many of these people who are trying to change the way that things are in the future god i hate having to say phrases like that um but you understand what i mean it's a very few people who are trying to set the narrative for the whole world currently uh, on the internet and that is not a good thing but at least they're sticking to their guns you've got to respect it now enough about unpopularity let's have a look at inadequacy this is one that should should really ring true for everyone i I, i've spent a lot of time thinking i'm adequate and i think people do that every single day there'll be some task that comes up that they seemingly can't do and you're faced with that brutal truth that you just can't do everything that you're not wholly good that there are parts of you that are not great and michelle de montaigne the guy who has inspired this chapter by Alan de Botton, was one of the most significant philosophers in the French Renaissance, and he actually is renowned for popularising the essay as like an actual genre. So that book, Trick Mirror, that I spoke about the other day, probably wouldn't be about if it wasn't for Michel de Montaigne. And this was around like the 1500s, the French Renaissance. I don't know too much about the French Renaissance, maybe I'll learn about it one day, but one of the best things to come out of it was Michel de Montaigne. So an interesting fact 
about Michel de Montaigne that you can tell everybody you know, because interesting facts are awesome, is that he actually popularised the essay as like a genre. So the book Trick Mirror that I spoke about the other day, that wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Michel de Montaigne. And the word essay, because he was French, it comes from the French word essayer, which means essentially to attempt to or to experiment. And that's the idea of it is an essay, is you explore an idea and work out what you think. It's a great way to learn how to think. It's why I love writing, is you write down what you think, come back to it an hour later, you're like, oh, actually, no, maybe that doesn't make sense. That's that's not what I actually think. And his essays, he covered loads of stuff. And one of his like greatest sayings is that our life consists partly in madness and partly in wisdom. And I think for anyone who's like a public intellectual, right, just to acknowledge the fact that there is madness within them and to claim that it's almost half of them, I find that quite endearing because we have this perfectionist idea that we should be wholly wise and, and not make mistakes. But Michel de Montaigne, he accepted that. It was an, an acceptance of the whole. And I love that. I love being able like people who look in the mirror and they're like, oh God, you could have done this better, but well, fuck it, I guess that's just part of life. This, these mistakes that we make, these things that we do that we are not happy with ourselves for, that is part of it. That is the beauty of life. It's like, that's how we learn. We learn by experience. Everybody in the world shits. That's something Michel de Montaigne says. He says, kings and philosophers shit, and so do ladies. I've never understood that whole thing I think I remember in school like I definitely just thought girls don't boo but if Michelle de Montaigne says it it must be true right everybody poops and we have to think about that anyone who you think is perfect just know that lay lay massive turds and it makes them seem less perfect doesn't it another thing he says is that even on the highest throne in the world, they are still sat up on their asses. It's kind of the same theme, right? Everyone has an asshole. Everyone has an asshole within them. Everyone can be a bit mean. Everyone can make mistakes. Everybody is imperfect. And we better get used to that. Because understanding that about other people, and understanding that about ourselves, allows us just to be, lead a little bit more of a compassionate life, right? Knowing that we fuck up and that everyone we know is going to fuck up at some point just allows us to be a little bit more chilled out about it when someone does eventually fuck up. We should kind of expect it. And Alan the Bottom's a bit of a pe pessimist anyway, and he's, he's done a brilliant YouTube video about that, which I've probably spoken about already in this podcast, and I've spoken about it in other podcasts, but I please implore you to listen to it. Why shouldn't we be pessimists? Why shouldn't we kind of expect the reality of life to happen, the suffering, the pain, the heartbreak, inadequacy, unpopularity. Why should we think that we are any different to anyone else and that these things should miss us? It's a good question to sit and ruminate on, right? Why? Why would we ever think we're different? It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but quite a funny quote by Michel Montaigne that does make sense to me is he wrote in one of his essays I feel quite a different person before and after a meal now everybody knows that hangry feeling and that's been about since the dawn of time it was written about in the 1500s it was probably written about a long time before then so if you get hangry and it gets in the way of your life hey 
you're not alone in that. Michel de Montaigne, who's been remembered 500 years after his birth, which I can almost guarantee you won't be, he got angry as well. So don't get upset yourself for that. Another great thing in the Constellation of Philosophy is he spoke about Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer is a really interesting German philosopher. He's a bit of a prick and he is a pessimistic philosopher. I don't want to speak about him too much, but weird story about him is he is famous. There's there's no doubt about that and lots of people like his work. But at some point in his career, he kicked his landlady down the stairs because she was being too noisy. Yet still people like him. Let that be a lesson that you can fuck up in your life and people are still going to think you're alright. Please don't kick anyone down the stairs, but you will fuck up at other points. And people people will eventually forget it. Or people will take the malice out of the situation for you. Or people will lessen the impact of that situation. Because one thing I hate is when people fuck up and then they give themselves the hard time. C.S. Lewis quote that I always refer to is the worst part of misery is misery shadow. The more you read about old philosophers is you realise that all these people fuck up in incredible ways. And if you're only a little bit more honest with yourself and honest with your friends and your friends are honest with you, you'd see that pretty much everyone you know fucks up all the time. And that's okay. Now, I'm going to move on from the Constellations of Philosophy. As the two books go, comparing the Constellations of Philosophy to the Socrates expressed. Constellations of Philosophy is a little bit more academic. It is very digestible, but it goes into art, it goes into history a little bit more, and that's just how Alan de Botton does things. He essentially thinks that life is pointless if we don't have art. Um, I don't... Maybe I do agree with him, but he talked about art a lot in the book. It was a number one bestseller, if that tickles your pickle, and that is The Constellation of Philosophy by Alan de Botton. Now I'm going to move on to the Socrates Express, which is an easier read than the Constellation of Philosophy. And maybe it's better. I would actually say that it is better. Now, the people he covers in this book, I'll list you the chapters. How to get out of bed like Marcus Aurelius. How to wander like Socrates. How to walk like Rousseau. How to see like Thoreau. And how to listen like Schopenhauer. Not how to kick people down the stairs like Schopenhauer, notably. How to enjoy like Epicurus, how to pay attention like Simone Will, how to fight like Gandhi, how to be kind like Confucius, how to appreciate the small things like Shea Shonagun, how to have no regrets like Nietzsche, how to cope like Epictetus, how to grow old like de Beauvoir, and how to die like Montaigne. So, you'll notice Socrates is in here, Montaigne is in here, Schopenhauer is in here, uh, someone I've spoken about on the podcast before, Henry David Thoreau is in here, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Gandhi. Gandhi, Gandhi I'm going to focus on Gandhi first, actually. How to Fight Like Gandhi, of course, it's just filled with irony, that chapter, because Gandhi was a pacifist, everyone knows that. But Gandhi came face-to-face with some pretty brutal violence, and he organised a lot of protests, and they were non-violent protests. But if you were being beaten, why would you not fight back? And Gandhi said, you just have to fight back non-violently. He said that his people confronted the police with their presence and their peaceful intentions. Had they fought back physically, they would have provoked more anger from the police, anger in their minds, now justified. Gandhi found such escalation silly. Any victory earned through violent means is illusory. It only postpones the arrival of the next bloody chapter. I think that's quite true. 
a lot of times when I fought when I was a kid, my mum like, oh, why don't you just walk away? She didn't say all that, but that's how I heard it at the time. And I didn't understand it until I stopped being a dickhead at some point in my life and people would maybe start on me in a pub and they'd be like, mate, let's go down here and have a fight. And I'm like, God, why on earth would I ever do that? You silly man, I'm just going to get on with my night. And then I'd walk away. And you know what? Oh, it feels good. It feels good walking away. So I, I understand why Gandhi was non-violent. I don't know if I'd be able to do it if I was faced with like true brutal violence coming my way, but it's definitely admirable. However, Gandhi, like all of these other philosophers and people who are famous throughout history, was not perfect. And I'm going to tell you two things that might just ruin your image of Gandhi. So maybe skip on two minutes if you want to keep thinking that Gandhi was an amazing and perfect being. He said, I do not believe Hitler to be as bad as he is portrayed. He then went on to say that the Jews should have offered themselves to the butcher's knife. They should have thrown themselves from the sea into the cliffs. It would have aroused the world and the people of Germany. That takes pacifism maybe a little bit too far. I don't think you should walk nobly towards your death when a lunatic is the one that's saying you have to die. That is where I can't back his idea of pacifism. It doesn't make too much sense to me. And also, there's just kind of ignorant comments, right? Like, I get it, mate, you don't want to fight back, but fucking hell, six million people. God knows how many millions more who like weren't reported, who died in World War II. And Gandhi comes out and says, yeah, why don't you just... Guys, you could have just killed yourself. You could have saved them the trouble. Doesn't doesn't make too much sense to me. Another thing about Gandhi, which is it's it's not it doesn't paint him a good light, is at seventy five he decided to test his vow of celibacy that he'd taken way earlier in his life. And he liked to sleep naked with young women, um, including his grandniece. That is all kind of fucked up. Hopefully they're of an age where if he should have broken his vow of celibacy it would have been legal to do so but grand niece doesn't suggest that that's the case i don't know i can't come out and say gandhi could have been a nonce but i guess i just have sometimes just your behavior being weird puts you in that category For everyone else in the world, I, maybe you don't agree with me. I don't really know if I agree with myself, but that's what came out of my mind. So potentially, Gandhi's a bit of a fucking creep. There we go. We can safely say that. We can't say he's a nonce, but he is a bit of a fucking creep. Sleeping naked with lots of women to test your vows of celibacy, especially young women when you're in your 70s, I don't think is noble or admirable or moral, in fact. But, dead now, can't even defend himself, so what are we going to do? Now another person I'm going to speak about, just before we wrap this podcast up, is Epicurus. Epicurus was around similar sort of time to the Stoics, and he had his own school of philosophy, Epicureanism, and he was kind of the first guy to have a cult. I'm sure there were other people who had a cult, but one of the first like reportings of a weird cult is he decided that he and his friends were all going to live together, and he'd had enough of seeing them every now and then. He got a 
kind of like well-priced plot of land outside Athens and bought a place that him and his friends could live side by side. So everyone had their own rooms and there was common areas. Their kids were kind of looked after by everyone. Everyone ate together and you can chat wherever you want. It was kind of like a commune, right? Like a hippie commune. But the reason that he did like designed it this way is because he considered pleasure as the highest good. He said everything else, essentially fame, money, virtue, mad only to the extent that they furthered pleasure. But when he talks about pleasure, he doesn't mean it in the way that we think about pleasure. We think about pleasure like sex, chocolate, I don't know, drugs, whatever you want to do for pleasure. He talks about it as a lack of disturbance. So it's like the absence of anxiety rather than the presence of anything that leads to complete contentment. It says pleasure is not the opposite of pain, but it's absence. So he's not a hedonist. He's kind of like a tranquilist is how he would be described. And the Greeks called the state, the lack of disturbance, ataraxia. And it translates literally to lack of disturbance. I'm all for that life. A peaceful life, a tranquil life, seems like a reasonable goal. To know that you're not being pulled here and there by pleasure or pain, but you're just aiming for a more tranquil existence, seems like a good idea to me. Now, in the episode where I spoke about Seneca's book, Letters from a Stoic, he actually quoted Epicurus and said, cease to hope and you cease to fear. That essentially means you've just got to make the most of what you've got and don't hope for anything more than that. If something comes your way, of course, make the most of it. But being content with what you have is a pretty good idea. And his philosophy, essentially, was the philosophy of gratitude. Which I think we can all get behind. Gratitude is hard. Being totally grateful for everything you have in this world that constantly reminds you that you do not have enough and that you are not enough is very difficult. But if we can learn anything from Epicurus, it's just how to enjoy life, essentially, to be grateful for what we have. He had, well, there's conflicting stories about what he had. He either had loads of slaves feeding him fish and meats and loads of nice foods, or there are other reports on him where he was just eating quite plain foods and he liked to keep his diet plain. He liked to keep essentially everything plain so that he didn't want for more. And there's conflicting stories in that wherever you look. But he has written a book called The Art of Happiness. And that's something I'm going to be reading quite soon because well, I, I'd like to get to know the, the philosophy of Epicurus. And that is one of the best things about these types of books is, let's say, so in the Constellation of Philosophy, you've got six different philosophers to have a look at that could inspire you to read some old philosophy texts and get your nerd on and try and become a philosopher. Or in Eric Weiner's book, Eric Weiner's book, The Socrates Express, which we've just been talking about, there are um, just have a look, 14, 14 different philosophers that you could take lessons from. That's quite a lot, considering it's only in, what, 300 pages, 290 pages. You get a lot less bang for your buck elsewhere, I'll tell you that for free. I would say... If you are not intimidated by books that could potentially be a little bit posh, I say posh because, I mean, they talk about art, right? And I'm still in that stage where talking about fine art is quite posh for me. Uh, so if you're, if you're not against those kind of books, then the Constellations of Philosophy is going to be perfect for you. But if you want something a little bit more simple that gives you a lot more, 
I'll say the Socrates Express, in search of life lessons from dead philosophers. That's kind of my jam at the moment, is trying to figure out what these old philosophers see that I don't. I know they haven't got Google. They didn't have the distractions of Twitter and Instagram and all of that bollocks. But human existence as a whole hasn't changed that much. Our total experience doesn't seem to have changed so much when you look at the the stuff that the philosophers say. They're good people to be getting life lessons from. Far better than your Tony Robbins, for example, or Gary Vaynerchuk, or any of these other people. Just go to the dead people. At least their work has survived. I imagine in 500 years, people are not going to be referencing Awaken the Giant within in universities and especially not in 2000 years if the earth is still here that is i can't imagine people are going to be talking about gary vaynerchuk or tony robbins they probably will still be talking about socrates michelle de montaigne schopenhauer epicurus gandhi the weirdo these people had something to say and it was important and people still like to listen to them i'm really passionate about philosophy at the moment i hope that I can spread that to you guys because I do think it's very, very helpful to see how you can apply these old lessons to your own life because essentially we're all just searching for the answers of how to live, right? And these people dedicated their lives to exploring that topic and we don't even have to spend eight hours learning from them, reading a book. How fucking brilliant is that? I would obviously say quite brilliant. Now, that is it for this episode and those two books, The Consolation of Philosophy and The Socrates Express. You can buy them wherever you get your books from. It does not concern me where you get your books from, but what does concern me is that if you are sad, if you are anxious, if you are continually so, maybe it will be time to chat to a therapist. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world. Therapy has been profoundly helpful for me. I think trying to understand my emotions and understand why I do certain things and explore the decisions that I make has been one of the most helpful endeavours that I've ever undertaken. I can't see why it would be different for you. So if you are considering therapy and you're happy to do it online and you want it to be convenient from your own home, not having to go to someone's lounge, head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you get 10% of your first month all you'd have to do is run through a 10 minute questionnaire and you'll be matched with a therapist within 48 hours that is the end of this podcast i'm doing one episode a week for the foreseeable future i'm focusing a lot on my writing at the moment so if you want to keep up to date with that there is a link for the Substack mailing list that is in the description of this episode thank you very much for bearing with me through my grim winter months but now the sun is here I'll be a lot happier. I've got an interview coming up with Daisy soon from the Bookmark Boys. Uh, you remember she came on around episode 100. She had a baby now, so I just wanted to catch up with her, see if it's interrupted her reading or if she can still cram that in. So that is what's going to be coming up next. You absolute legends. I love you. Goodbye.